0: All right. So uh, welcome. I'm excited you're here. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about the spiritual world. And so I want to just give you a little bit of a precursor of what we're going to do over these few weeks. And um, we're we're going to tonight do some big overview stuff about what it means that we live in a spiritual world, or really what it means that we live in a world with the physical and spiritual dimensions, okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Next week we're going to talk about God's staff, um, angels and cherubim and the divine council, and all that good stuff, okay? That's next week. It'll come up a little bit this week. That's our focus next week. The following week we're going to talk about demons and the Satan. Um, and I'm using the phrase the Satan um, partly because that's how the Bible talks about Satan. Um, we'll, we'll get there next time. It'll be great. Uh, and then our last time together, we're going to talk about Jesus and a renewed humanity. Uh, I got to begin by saying I am really indebted to the Bible Project for some of our content. And you're going to, I'm going to show you some of their videos tonight. I love the Bible Project. So if you're not already aware of them, it's a, it's a website. It's free. It's crowdfunded. So you can donate, but it's free. And uh, they do fantastic Bible teaching. Some of what they do are are summaries of books of the Bible, but they also do some thematic teaching. It's just really biblical and really good, and it's all free. Go to BibleProject.com. So any videos I show you tonight, if you want to see them again, you can find them there. Okay? All right. Um, So tonight, um, hi, Ruth. Tonight, um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, two realities and, and God's creation of our world and how... There is a a physical world and a spiritual world that have from the very beginning been designed to sort of interact together, uh, and how we unfortunately tend to overlook the spiritual world pretty frequently. So, um, we're going to actually begin. We're going to see two of our little Bible project videos tonight. We're going to begin with one that's kind of an overview of this whole idea. uh, And then we're going to kind of unpack some of that video throughout this evening. And so without further ado, let me kind of introduce the concept of spiritual beings. If you pick
1: up the Bible, you don't have to read far before you meet the main character, God.
2: Yeah, he appears in the Bible's first sentence. And then later on page one, you meet the humans. And there you have it.
1: The two main players in the Bible, God and humans on the stage of our world.
2: Well, not quite. In the Bible, there's actually a way bigger cast of characters than just humans and God like who i mean the figures called the elohim in the hebrew scriptures angels the satan demons they're all over the story
1: oh right spiritual beings
2: to be honest i've never really known what to do with them it's all kind of weird and unfortunately almost all of our modern conceptions about these beings are based on serious misunderstandings
1: all right so let's talk about spiritual beings in the story of the bible
2: So first thing we have to do is reorient ourselves to how the ancient biblical authors saw the world. On pages 1 and 2 of Genesis, God brings order to a watery wilderness, separating the skies above from the land below. Right, this is earth, where we live. And then there's the heavens, high above, which they saw as God's domain. But in the Bible, these spaces are not separate. They overlap. And in fact, the Garden of Eden is described throughout the Bible as a high mountain garden where heaven and earth are one. So that's the world. Now it needs some creatures. God first creates and appoints the sun, moon, and stars to rule the day and night. You mean the giant flaming gas balls in the sky? Well, that's how you think about them. But the biblical authors, like all ancient people, saw them as heavenly creatures that are glorious, shining bright,
1: and high above. Which is strange. I don't think of stars as creatures.
2: Well, you don't. But for the biblical authors, the stars formed their categories for thinking and talking about a spiritual reality that exists alongside ours. And it's a different kind of reality, just like the sky is different from the land, And it's populated with creatures that have different kinds of bodies, shiny spiritual bodies. Okay, so
1: almost all ancient cultures thought of the stars as divine beings, including the ancient Israelites.
2: But the biblical authors make clear that these beings are not God. Rather, they're images of God. Their glory and high status is a reflection of the creator's glory and status, and they exist to serve his purposes. So the stars symbolize beings who
1: are like God's heavenly staff team.
2: Right. Now let's go back, because after God appointed the heavenly host, he also appointed another type of creature. The humans. Yeah, in Hebrew, they're called Adam, which sounds like the Hebrew word for dirt, because that's what they're made of. So glorious rulers above, it hairy sapiens below. But then comes the great twist. God tells the lowly humans that they are to rule all of creation. He invites them to rise above their dirty origins and share in God's glory as his partners. So God wants to rule the world through humans and not the spiritual beings. Exactly. This is how the poet of Psalm 8 understood the stories of Genesis. He looked up at the stars and says, what is humanity that you consider him? You made him lower than the spiritual beings, but crowned him with glory and divine majesty. This is humanity's high calling, to rule creation in the love and power of God. Very cool. But not everyone's happy. We're introduced to a spiritual being who doesn't want humans to rule. So he tricks them into thinking that they can get divine power on their own terms. They're deceived and they take the opportunity. So they're banished from the Eden Mountains exiled to wander the earth and return to the dust. This snake is bad news. Yeah, and as you read on, you discover that he's part of a spiritual rebellion that follows the humans outside of Eden, and things get worse from here.
1: The humans still desire to
2: rule, so they start a new project. Yes, in the Bible, this is called Babylon. It's the anti-Eden, where human and spiritual rebels join together to elevate themselves back to their former glory. And so, With all that in mind, we can now appreciate the full cast of characters that we meet in the biblical story. God, humans, and all of the spiritual beings. Exactly.
0: Okay. Um, There's a lot in that. So we're going to spend a lot of time tonight unpacking some of what you just heard. Um, Just out of curiosity, um, pretty familiar to people or pretty unusual? Unusual. Okay, great. I love it. It means we're going to do new stuff. You're not going to be bored. Okay, good. So, uh, I I want you to just for a moment kind of keep this image in your head because we're going to come back to it. Okay. This is an image uh, of the the heavens above, the earth beneath, and then that one space that's represented by Eden where the two overlap. Okay. So, we're going to talk tonight about this idea there are are two realities, right? A spiritual world and a physical world. Uh, And then we're going to get later on in the evening to the point where they kind of overlap where they mesh together, okay? So just kind of keep that in your head. We're gonna come back to that in a little bit. All right, um, I, I think there was so much in that video, we gotta unpack it kind of step by step, okay? So let's back up a little bit um, and let's talk at the very beginning. They they mentioned the order of creation and the idea that the, the sun, the moon, and the stars were spiritual beings, okay? This is really interesting for us. So first of all, um, we know that the sun, the moon, and the stars are, you know, balls of gas or rock or whatever they are up there. Um, so I'm not asking you to think that. I'm simply saying that's how the ancient authors understood. It. And maybe more significantly, they are a really helpful metaphor to understand the reality the scripture is trying to reveal to us, right, of, of what this world is really like. So um, we're going to jump around the Bible a lot tonight. If you've got a Bible and want to follow along, that's great. If not, don't worry. I got your back. Um, I want to just point out, can you see that? Yeah, okay. I want to begin by um, pointing out a really interesting moment in the book of Genesis in the first chapter. God is creating the heavens and the earth. And on the fourth day, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And listen to what it says when God creates them. God made the two great lights. greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. Okay, there's one word that shows up in there like three times, at least twice, Um, Oh, three times, and it's a weird word, and it's the word rule. What does it mean that the sun and the moon and the stars are ruling in the dome of the sky. Well, the ancient Israelites read this, and they thought, okay, well, that means that these heavenly beings are, like, in charge up there, okay? And so the ancient Israelites, like, almost all ancient peoples believed that there was something spiritual happening in the sky. Right? And all ancient cultures wanted to worship the sky and the star and the sun, and you've got Apollos, the god of the sun, and Helios and all those people. Ra. Israel's going to be different. They're not going to, at least when they're doing it right, they're not going to worship the heavens, Um, but they do believe they represent spiritual realities. Okay? Uh, So there are, um, in this um, moment of Genesis 1, we have these two levels of creation, and I think our video really illustrates that really clearly. You have the, uh, the, the humans made out of the dirt, right, uh, out of the mud, and then God breathes them and gives them life, and you have the sun, the moon, the stars, made in the heavens, and they're really, really different. Um, but throughout scripture, um, that metaphor of uh, the sun and the stars, representing sort of spiritual beings that God has created and placed in our world, is repeated again and again. It's not just this one spot in Genesis one. So, uh, for example, and we'll read a couple of these in uh, the book of Job. Hold on, I don't have my, I got a handheld microphone. put my Bible. All right, I'll speak loud for just a second. So, in the book of Job, um, the author, uh, rather, Job is talking with God and complaining about. The, um, tri- the tribulation that he's been going through. And uh, the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. The stars and the beings in heaven are all shouting for joy, right? They're kind of the same idea. There's this host of heavenly beings kind of represented by stars that are part of God's creation. Uh, we won't read them all, but we have, for example, in Psalm 148, you know, praise him, all you sun, moon, and shining stars, praise him, you heavenly host above, right? So this idea that there is this whole dynamic of spiritual beings and creatures that God has made runs throughout the scriptures. And we have in the New Testament as well. Uh, we talk about them as angels very often, right? And we're gonna talk about angels, but I'm not gonna go that far yet. I just want to call them spiritual beings tonight, okay? We'll get into what angels means next week. Um, All right. Uh, There are good and bad spiritual beings, right? And this isn't news to us in Scripture. We see angels that serve God, and we see in the New Testament demons that are oppressing people, right? And, of course, we uh, read about Satan in the Scriptures. And so it's not a surprise to us that there are good and bad spiritual beings. Um, But this is going to be a really important point and understanding the, the broader idea of these two realities. So God's original design uh, was not uh, that the, the spiritual world and the physical world would be completely separate and different. They were gonna be connected, right? Uh, and, and again, the, the stars and the moon and the sun are a really helpful this. We can see them, right? I mean, during the day you can see the sun, at night you can see the moon and the stars. They're really distant and clearly really different from us, but, but they're there, right? They're on the edge of our reality and um, we can interact with them and learn about them and study them. And So uh, in, in the same way, God designed the, the spiritual world to be one that is very different from us, but not completely disconnected, right? That we're supposed to have some access to God and to his world um, from our world, right? Kind of makes sense. Um, okay, this is a really easy question. Um, who is the creator and proper ruler of both the physical and the spiritual realms? This is this guy. Yeah, you, you have to tell me the answer. Okay, Jesus, God. Okay, yes, all of the above. Okay, fantastic. Um, but Jesus is a really good answer. We're going to come back to later. Can we stay with God for a minute? Um, so when we say God, um, we don't always know what we mean. Okay, so um, in scripture, the word God is usually this word Elohim, okay? Um, everybody say Elohim. Elohim. All right. Um, and when you see most, not every time, most of the time, when you see the word God in your, in your Old Testament, uh, it's really this Hebrew word Elohim, okay? Um, there is another word for God in the Old Testament, uh, another major word, and that's Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Okay. Yahweh is the divine personal name of God. My name is Jim, and God's name is Yahweh, right? Um, you might call me, well, some of you might call me pastor. Some of you might call me son. Some of you might call me husband, or I don't know, they would call me that, but you could. Um, my kids can call me dad, right? But there are many people in the world named dad, um, and there may be people in the world named son or pastor, but I'm the only James Rowan Gates II that I'm aware of, okay? Um, so Yahweh is God's name. God is like us calling him dad, right? It's the title we use. Um, this is really a, a confusing piece in the Old Testament, especially because the word God, Elohim, shows up and we translate it in really different ways. And sometimes it refers to God, Yahweh, and sometimes it refers to these spiritual beings we're talking about. Okay. So, um, I'm gonna do just one more of these little videos because I think it's really helpful to get our idea around this. We gotta wrap our heads around the spiritual beings piece and where they show up in the scriptures. So uh, this is one more Bible project clip.
1: When most people think about the story of the Bible, they think of a story about God and humans.
2: But remember, we learned that there's a whole other cast of characters that appears throughout the Bible and plays a really important role. Right, spiritual beings, angels, demons, and the like. Right. And in the Bible, they inhabit the heavenly realm, which is parallel to our earthly reality and actually overlaps with it. Now, all of these spiritual beings have their own unique characteristics. But here's what's fascinating. The biblical authors have one word that can refer to all the inhabitants of the spiritual realm. In Old Testament Hebrew, the word is Elohim, and in New Testament Greek, it's Theos. But here's the thing. This word gets translated in lots of different ways depending on which being is referred to angels, gods with a lowercase g, or even God with a capital G.
1: Wait, so one word can
2: refer to any of these beings? Yeah, it's because Elohim is a category title. It can designate any spiritual being that belongs to the heavenly realm. Okay, a title, not a name, like the word mom. Yeah, right. The word mom can refer to lots of really different kinds of people, but they all share in common the same role in a family. And then let's say a group of brothers and sisters are talking and one says, hey, it's mom's birthday. They're using the title like it's a name. But it would be clear that they're referring not to any mom, but their mom. Yes, and the same goes for the biblical authors. They called their god Yahweh, which is the name revealed to Moses. But they also sometimes refer to him with the category title Elohim, using it like a name, because they all know who they're referring to.
1: Okay, but don't the biblical authors think that Yahweh is in a class of his own,
2: not like any other? They do, which is why they say things like Yahweh is the Elohim of Elohim that is, the chief Elohim among all the others. Or they'll say there's no Elohim beside Yahweh, meaning no other spiritual being compares to him because only he is the ruler and
1: creator of all things. Okay, I'm following, but I thought the Bible taught
2: monotheism, which means there's just one God. Well, the biblical authors are claiming that among all of the spiritual beings out there, only one is the source and creator of all things, including the Elohim. That's biblical monotheism that one Elohim Yahweh is above all other Elohim that is the other spiritual beings now with all that said, we are ready to learn more about who these other Elohim are and how they fit into the biblical story.
0: Okay, Um, pause there for a minute. Um, That idea is a really important concept that makes sense of a lot of stuff in the Old Testament okay so um. The, the word Elohim is a Hebrew word. It's the masculine form. I'm sorry, it's the masculine plural form of the word El, right? Ever song, there's a song El Shaddai, right? Shaddai means almighty, right? But El is just the Canaanite word for God, not unlike mom or dad, right? And so when we say Elohim, sometimes we're using the masculine plural of El, to refer to Yahweh, right? Capital G God. But sometimes in the scriptures, the word Elohim can be translated to mean lower G gods. And maybe you've been reading the Bible at some point when you came across something where they talked about, you know, the other gods or the gods of the other nations are not as powerful as our God or something. And you said, well, wait a minute, there aren't any other gods, there's just one. So when the Bible says that, it's saying spiritual beings. Sometimes the Bible talks about sons of God, like in Genesis chapter 6, there's a really interesting bit we'll talk about later, where the sons of God sleep with human women, the daughters of men, and have children with them. And the sons of God is the word Elohim. right? And it means spiritual beings, not Jesus, the son of God, and not Yahweh, Right, but these lesser spiritual beings that, that Yahweh has created. Uh, sometimes we see holy ones, etc. So this is little confusing, but kind of an important idea for us. So um, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, and this is, I'm doing some of this in Hebrew to make sense. For Yahweh, your Elohim, he is the Elohim of Elohim, and the Lord of Lords, the great El, as in El Shaddai, mighty and awesome. Okay. Are we tracking a little bit about what this word means? Um, part of the idea behind the use of the word Elohim is that um, there is this great spiritual reality that God is king over, just like he's king over our physical reality, okay? And, and so all of these little spiritual beings um, exist to serve God like we exist to serve God. Okay, so... Um, we are not going to do all of that stuff right now. Whoa, stop. People... No, nope, don't do the video again. Come on, Mr. Computer. There we go. Okay. Um, so I, I think they did a job explaining this in the video, but but just to make sure, um, we do believe that there are other spiritual forces other than God. We don't believe any of them are comparable to God, right? Um, just like, I mean, this is a really bad analogy, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that like, Vatican City has some kind of military force, right? Vatican City is a one-square-mile smallest country in the world. You can't really compare their 12 security guards to the United States Army, right? I mean, it's just silly. But technically, they have a military, right? So in the same way, you, you can't really compare angels and demons to God, but technically, they're all of the same category of spiritual people. Are we together on that? Okay, let me, let me just pause for a minute, um, and let me make sure we're tracking it questions about this idea of these sort of spiritual beings that run throughout scripture and the spiritual reality they have in our physical, or are we on the same page? Do you have questions about that before I keep going? Be brave if you do. Okay. Say hey, Jim. Yep. Go ahead, Ruth. Jim. Oh, um, there was a lot of mythology that was included in some of the first scriptures. But it it seems like there was also a struggle uh, to attain um, monotheism. So even Abraham's father, you know, Abraham finally denounced all those gods and said there's one. So I mean, throughout generations, there there was, um, although we don't believe in polytheism, there still was a struggle, I think, with um, even when they uh, left Egypt they still have that struggle. The minute Moses was invisible. Yeah.
2: Is, is that not part of it?
0: the story? That's 100% correct. So I guess, you hear that okay? Okay, great. So this is a really important point. And, and there's really two sides to this conversation. There's the human side and the spiritual side, right? Which you're going to hear a lot. So on the human side, we have struggled to understand that there is one God. And um, we sort of naturally look around and say, well, you know, there's fire, there's gotta be a god of fire and there's mountains, there's gotta be a god of mountains and there's water, there has gotta be a god of water. And we've imagined in almost every human culture that sort of polytheistic worldview where all of the gods were sort of like slightly stronger, faster, more powerful versions of humans. And so if you read most um, mythology, you know Greco-Roman mythology, for example, is what I'm more familiar with, they kind of all sound like people, right? Just really strong, fast, powerful people. Um, and they do, you know, they make the same horrible decisions that people make. So um, from, a, from a human perspective, we always struggle with that. The question is, why have we always struggled with that? Well, the spiritual conversation would be, well, there are spiritual beings who have helped us struggle with that, right? Um, that, and we're going to get into this in just a minute, but, but God's vision was for the, the physical and the spiritual to be united in a really healthy, wonderful way. It was not... In fact, we rebelled together, and the fruits of that rebellion were that all of those spiritual beings that really do exist, um, some of them ended up leading us to believe that, oh, we should worship fire, we should worship water, we should worship spirit, right? We got confused about who was God and who wasn't, uh, and it wasn't just that we were unscientific crazy people, but also that there were real spiritualities intentionally misleading us. Right, the obvious one being the serpent in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, am I saying that Zeus and Hera are actual spiritual beings that are not God, God, but little gods? I don't know. Um, and and, and I, I don't mean that flippantly. Um, the Bible's not clear. Um, there are absolutely times where scripture says things um, like, hold on, like Deuteronomy chapter 32, um, where um, we get the impression that all those fake gods are um, idols, right? So Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, or verse 16, they made him jealous, they're talking about Yahweh, they made him jealous with strange gods. With abhorrent things they provoked him, they sacrificed to demons, not God, to deities they had never known, to new ones recently arrived whom your ancestors feared. So there you get the impression that those fake gods are actually spiritual beings that are just opposed to God. But we also have the opposite in scripture, right? So we have scripture talking about how idols are handmade statues that can't speak and aren't real and are no gods whatsoever. So there's a tension right and, and I think part of the answer is going to be to say no we don't think that every time somebody made up a fake God, it was actually a spiritual being that they were misinterpreting. but the spiritual beings that exist are invested in us um, mis- under, um, those ones that have fallen from God are invested in us misunderstanding who God is and worshiping them instead of him yeah. No, good question. Um, so in that passage is read in Deuteronomy, um, the word demon is not Elohim. The word God is. So when it said they worship gods that you did not know, God's plural, that's Elohim. Um, I looked this up earlier, but I have forgotten the Hebrew word for demon at the moment. But it's not Elohim in that context. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Bob. How would a person who
1: has read genesis
0: and Like ever been exposed to the word yeah. So the question is, how would somebody who's read Genesis and many times and many translations ever have gotten some of this stuff like the Hebrew word Elohim? You can't. Um, and, and, and this is, unfortunately, I don't like to make a big deal out of translation, right? Because Sometimes it comes across as like, some of us have secret Bible knowledge from the Greek and the Hebrew that you can't have. But, but just like if you were trying to explain, if you were talking to somebody who was a Spanish speaker, and you were trying to explain the phrase, what's up, right? Well, I don't know how that translates in Spanish, but it, it, I mean, I know you could say que paso is what's happening, but what's up, they might look up and be like the ceiling, the, the right? So when you translate, unfortunately, you can't get perfect translations. You're always taking this culture's idea of a word and turning it into this culture's idea of a word. The other thing that's really challenging, um, we're, we're in the weeds, but it's a really interesting set of weeds for me. Um, you can translate a word literally, or you can translate it with its intent. For example, sometimes it's really clear the word Elohim means capital G, God, as in Yahweh. And sometimes it's really clear the word Elohim means little g gods, as in fake gods or spiritual beings opposed to God. You could use the same word every time, and I would know, using the same word every time, but I wouldn't know what the word means. Or you could use a different word every time, and I don't know it's the same word. That's the limit of the translation. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yes. I did that for you, but but in the English, it's just going to say God of gods, Lord of lords. You know, great God, mighty. It's not going to say Elohim and L El and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is Hebrew. Hebrew, Hebrew. The Greek word is Theos, but I'm just doing one language per per night. Um, okay, so um, this is where it gets really important. That's some foundational information, right? But here's why it begins to matter a lot. So, I want to think about where the spiritual realm and the physical realm come together. Okay. Um, And you already know one place because our video told us where's the first place in the biblical story where the physical and the spiritual realms come together? What'd you say? Garden of Eden. Okay. Fantastic. Um, So, uh, just a fun fact. And I, I will be honest this detail I had never noticed before today when I was doing my research. Um, And, sorry, in Genesis chapter 2, we get the creation story of the Garden of Eden. The the second creation story is a little different from the first. Uh, And in uh, Genesis chapter 2, there is no water on the ground, right? So there are several problems that God is going to correct in this creation story in Genesis chapter 2. But one of those is there's no water, so nothing can grow, okay? So God puts a river... Um, and he has it water the whole earth and the river flow this Genesis chapter two, verse 10, a river flows out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divides, it becomes four branches and then it names the branches and two of them, um, are ones we know well, the Tigris and the Euphrates and two of them rivers we don't know as well. Um, really basic question, what direction do rivers flow? Down, they flow down, right? So if you have one river that's flowing out of Eden and watering the whole earth, where does Eden have to be? Top, right? It's got to be up, it's got to be high. Um, so uh, e- Ezekiel um, uh, chapter 28 says, You were in Eden, the garden of God, you were on the holy mountain of God, right? So we have this image of, of Eden being a mountaintop garden. I personally, Not sure I ever made that connection before. Um, But Eden is this mountaintop garden from which water is flowing to the world, right? And it's supposed to be this place where the first stuff that God made, the heavenly being spiritual realm, and the second stuff God made, the human earthly realm, and with animals and people, comes together. So this is really important. From the very beginning, God's vision was that we would be united. Right, that there would be this holistic spiritual-physical union. Okay? Um, it didn't go well. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay? But, but there are other points in the biblical story where um, God provides an opportunity for the physical world and the spiritual world to meet. Okay? Um, one of those is the tabernacle, and, and later on, the temple. Right? The tabernacle is that um, tent-like sanctuary that Moses is told to build by God on Mount Sinai. It includes the Ark of the Covenant, right? And it is the place you go to meet with God. It's like a thin place, right? Wherever it is, you can get to the spiritual realm and be in God's presence. Later on, Solomon builds the temple, right? And he takes the Ark of the Covenant, he puts it in the temple, and the temple replaces the tabernacle, and it becomes that place where heaven and earth, right? The spiritual and the physical realms meet, okay? Um, the, there are later points in scripture where we begin to get the idea that God is not limited to just where the tabernacle or the temple is, but in fact, the spiritual and the physical may be all around us connecting if we have eyes to see it. So one of my favorite stories is in 2 Kings chapter 6. So in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, um, this is a story of Elijah, not Elisha, the second guy, Elisha, not Elijah, And um, he is surrounded by the Aramean army, and he's got a servant with him. Uh, and in chapter 6, verse 15, it says, When an attendant of the man of God, the man of God is Elisha, when an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, An army with horses and chariots was all around the city. His servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? He replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came down against him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, please, with blindness. I love that he says, please. Uh, so he struck them with blindness as Elijah asked. Uh, okay, the, the rest of the story is fantastic. I'd really like to spend a whole night on this story. But um, the, the, the key idea here, right, is that Elijah has the ability to know already and the attempt, his servant gets the ability to see that the spiritual world is not this distant thing only in Jerusalem, right? It's not limited to where the Ark of the Covenant is. In fact, there are spiritual beings that support God all around them, ready to serve God and serve them if they but ask, right? Um, But can we see it, right? Do we have eyes to see what's happening? Okay, um, Mike Lusenorf, where's the last place, the most important place where heaven and earth meet? You told me earlier, his name is Jesus. Okay, um, so uh, I, I hope this was a given, but if it wasn't, right, the, the miraculous part, oh, part of the miraculous story of Jesus, right, is that he is God, like the most important of the Elohim, the most important of the spiritual beings, and he is Adam, he is human, made of mud, right? And whereas We tried an amenity, it didn't work out. And we tried it with the tabernacle and it didn't really work out. And um, some of us could see, I mean, I couldn't, but Elijah could see a little bit. Finally, Jesus comes and for the first time ever, it works, right? We have somebody who is fully connected to the realm of God and the things of the spirit and fully connected to the realm of earth and the things that are physical, okay? Um, and, And it's really difficult to overstate how significant this is. So from Genesis 1 uh, to Jesus, God has been trying to unite his new creations, us, with this spiritual world that he designed for us to share. Finally, when Jesus happens, it becomes a reality, right? It's finally, finally here. This is why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near, right? Because the kingdom of heaven, where God lives, has come down to earth in, in Christ, Okay. Um, The goal from the beginning was that we would do this, right? So the goal from the beginning was that humans would be that place where the physical world and the spiritual world were united in service to God. So remember, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God makes the stars and the moon and the sun to rule the dome of the sky, And then he makes fish and birds and he makes animals and all that stuff. And then he makes humans and he makes us in his image, in his likeness. Doesn't do that, by the way, with the sun, the moon, and the stars. He makes us in his image, in his likeness. And then he gives us dominion over the earth. So um, all of a sudden, we get this idea that even though we were made last, even though we don't have whatever the spiritual beings have in terms of living forever and all those things, God has exalted us beyond what might be expected. That's why we were in Psalm 8, right? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You've made him little lower than the angels. You've exalted him and given him glory and honor and put all things under his seat. Right Now, we know, if you're doing our Hebrew Bible study, that ultimately that's about Jesus, the son of man, right? But before Jesus came along, it expresses God's original desire, right, which was that humans would help unite his creation, that we were designed to be spiritual beings and physical beings. And in a way that maybe angels can't do, and in a way that maybe, you know, puppies and kitty cats and dolphins and bison and lions can't do, right, we're supposed to have a foot in both worlds. Um, Okay, so... um, this is God's original plan. Um, it doesn't go great. Yeah. Look, God knew it wasn't going to go great. He was planning about Jesus all along, okay? Um, but it doesn't go great. But just pause for a minute and think, what, what might be the implications of us being the people that God designed us to be? What might be the implications of us being a people that are truly connected to our physical world and truly connected to God's spiritual world in almost equal measure? how would it affect how I view other people? If I saw another person and I saw them not just as, you know, a, a employee or a, or a delivery person or a store clerk, but as someone who is in the image of God and reflecting Elohim, right? Maybe not Elohim, but reflecting Elohim. That would really, really change how I talk to that store clerk or that delivery, the pizza delivery guy or um, what if my body, my physical body um, had spiritual implications. Well, then what I do with my body might change significantly what I put in it and how I treat it and how I interact with other people might change a lot if, if this isn't just a physical shell that I'm going to get rid of one day. Um, but somehow connected to this spiritual world. Um, so this idea, what about the stuff that God has made that we have been given dominion over, right? If our job is to take God's creation of the physical world and be the point where it connects to the spiritual world, then I might not be willing to throw my soda cup out of the car as I drive down the road, right? Because I, I have an obligation to bring this whole physical world into a connection with God that it can't make without me. Okay, so kind of a big deal. So God's original plan is that we would be that piece that connected the two realms of his creation. And um, Jesus does it well, us not so much. We're working on it, we'll get there later. Um, But I wanna talk a little bit, I wanna end, um, oh, I'm doing great, by talking about where we went wrong. Okay, And, and, and that's gonna lead us into the next couple of weeks. So, uh, what went wrong? Um, there, the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are really important in Scripture. And as I read them, I don't read them as history. I read them as theology. And they tell me um, really critical things about who we are, who God is, and what the world is like, okay? So, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there are three really important rebellions that happen. And, and what I want you to pay attention to in these rebellions... Is who is in rebellion against God? Okay, so the first one I think is very familiar. I don't even think I have to read it. In Genesis chapter three, right, we know Adam and Eve are in the garden. We know Adam and Eve take the fruit. We know the serpent is there, right, and the serpent encourages them to be like God and they eat it and it goes poorly. Who are the the characters in that rebellion? Adam and Eve and Satan. Okay. Really important. Adam and Eve and Satan. We have physical rebellion. We have physical beings rebelling, and we have spiritual beings rebelling. Okay. The next big rebellion happens in Genesis chapter six. And we mentioned this earlier, but it's kind of interesting. So this is the story of Noah. And just before God calls Noah, we get a description of what's going wrong. Okay, so Genesis chapter six, verse one. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, that word is Elohim. The Elohim saw that they were fair and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, then Yahweh said, my spirit shall not abide in mortals forever for they are flesh their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth those days and also afterward. Nephilim are, um, as best as we can tell, the offspring of the spiritual beings and the humans. Okay, Um, They're like giants. When the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, these were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Okay. Who's, who's in rebellion here? Okay. Okay. So the Elohim, the gods, the, the sons of God, the other spiritual beings, some of them, and and people, right? Again, like, not only are they sleeping with the angels, which probably is about bad, uh, not angels, sorry, spiritual beings, um, but they're also, um, every inclination of the heart is against God, right, they're totally wicked. Okay, um, the third rebellion, um, I probably could do this on my slides, huh, um, the third rebellion is the Tower of Babel, and this is the one that I had not noticed before, um, but it's really an interesting one, so I think we know the story, but Genesis chapter 11, um, God uh, has uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a weird moment. Okay, so Genesis chapter ten, there's a genealogy, and it ends by saying uh, Genesis chapter 10, verse thirty-two. These are the families of Noah's sons according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the face of the earth after the flood. Um, the next verse says, "Now the whole earth had one language and the same words." What doesn't make any sense, right? So. Um, I, In the context of this story, I think we are to interpret that chapter 11 is going to explain how chapter 10 comes to be, right? Chapter 11 is going to explain how all these people spread out to the ends of the earth. Chapter 11, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And as they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And th- listen to this piece. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people. They all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. And then from there, the Lord scatters the face of the earth. Okay, what's the goal of the people in Babel? What do they want to build? A tower. What's that? A way to reach up into the heavens. Okay, a tower with its top in the heavens. So we're supposed to think about Eden right? Which is the highest mountain from which water flows to the whole earth, where um, the spiritual world and the earthly world are designed to come together. That's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to say, let's make ourselves an Eden. Let's make ourselves this, this place where we can get to the spiritual realm on our own. And God says, no, that's not the way to do it, right? Uh, you don't make your way to me. I'm going to make my way to you. Um, so who's rebelling in this situation? Who, who are the bad guys? Humans. Okay. I've always read this story and just come away saying, yeah, this is humans. Um, but uh, there are a couple of verses that maybe challenge that a little bit. Um, one of those is in that chapter earlier, we read chapter 32 of, of Deuteronomy. And sorry, I need two hands. Uh, and uh, again, this is the end of Moses's ministry. He's giving one of his, his last sermon to the Israelites. And He's talking about um, the the early story of the people of God, right? He talks about um, verse 8, when the Most High apportioned the nations, when he divided humankind, he fixed the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the gods. The Lord's own portion was his people, Jacob his allotted share. Okay, that line, when the Lord apportioned the nations and divided humankind and fixed the boundaries of the peoples, Sounds a lot like Babel, right, where God divides humankind and creates separate nations by languages. So, what Moses seems to be saying um, is that that's related to the gods, the Elohim, right, the spiritual beings. Uh, and then in that same sermon, just a couple of verses later, we get that language I meant earlier, right? He sacrificed to demons, not to God, to deities they'd never known. They made him jealous with strange gods, strange Elohim. So, um, really interesting idea. The Tower of Babel, not just a human rebellion, right? But a human and spiritual rebellion. So, um, here's the big deal uh, every time that we have one of these um, sort of foundational ideas in scripture um, of of rebelling against God in in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, Um, we get this idea of a a dual rebellion, right? That instead of um, humanity being that place where the physical world and the spiritual world are united in service to God, um, the spiritual world, those that have fallen away from service to God, Are uniting with us in rebellion against God. So we see it most clearly with the serpent in Adam and Eve, but we see it in chapter six and chapter 11. And I think we see it throughout our lives, right? I think part of the reality of our world is that when we are rebelling against God, there's almost always a physical and a spiritual component to it. Uh, So again, you know, if I rebel against God by putting a bunch of poison in my body, it's not just a physical act that has no spiritual implications, right? Um, it matters on the level of my spirit, and maybe the levels of other people's spirits. Um, when we talk about addiction as a disease, right? You know, there, there's a spiritual component to it, right? There's an oppression that comes with it. Uh, when we think about big evil in our world, right? We think about war or racism or famine or oppression or whatever. Um, scripture often comes back and suggests there's a spiritual component to that, right? There's a spiritual warfare happening that is um, supporting the, the sinful human choices. And so we're going to get to this later. We'll talk about it more in detail. But, but Paul in Ephesians, right, says our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the powers and the principalities of this dark world, right? So, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. when, when, the, when the Nazis come, we should fight the Nazis. Um, but the Nazis aren't the enemy, right? The spiritual evil that drives them is the enemy. Right? Whether that is personified or whether that is spread out amongst, you know, the ideas of racism and, and superior Aryan whatever, right? It's not just a physical battle. There's a spiritual battle there. Um, all of the great rebellions are the opposite of God's great desire for us. Okay, yeah, Joe. i mean to tell you the reason why we always talk about spiritual warfare. They're a problem that the general creation is now showing the general realm that you don't see around us. There's always
2: fear, fear, and fear, and fear, as well as
0: absolutely so the the question was um we talk about spiritual warfare this idea that you know there are there's a spiritual component to our temptation to sin and also you know we have this language in revelation that talks about you know a war in heaven between you know the angels that are faithful to god and the angels that are not um the 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 thing that we have to and we'll get to this in, in future weeks but when we talk about spiritual warfare it's important for us to realize um, we're not suggesting that like God and Satan are relatively equal and they're, and they're duking it out, and we hope our side wins, right? Um, we're, again, it's like, you know, Vatican City's military and United States Army. Um, we are suggesting that while God has decisively won in heaven and in Christ, he has decisively won on earth, that battle is not yet finished on earth, right? In heaven, he's won completely, but on earth, not yet finished. We often use the language of, uh, well, C.S. Lewis used the language of D-Day, right? To say, but after the Allies landed in Normandy and successfully took the beach, they could have possibly been repulsed. But once they had taken it, there was a lot of really important battles that came afterwards. But there was never really a strong likelihood they were going to lose, right? Once the Allies invaded France, Germany was going to fall. It was only a question of when. Right. We would say, you know, on earth, the victory of Jesus Christ from the cross is that moment where even on Earth the spiritual war has been decisive the decisive battle has been fought, but the war is over. Yeah, that's great. Okay, um, huh, All right, I, I was going to talk about this real briefly. Um, yeah, we can do this for a second. Okay, so um, just an interesting moment. No, we can't. We'll do it later. Okay, I promise. We'll come back. Uh, So we're going to come back to to, um, John chapter 10 another time. Um, I just want to say this. Uh, A dual rebellion requires a dual king. Okay, So, so part of the reason that Jesus is fully human and fully God is because that was God's desire, right? To unite heaven and earth. But part of it is because there are rebellions going on everywhere, right? And, and we need a king who can fight in all the realms, right? We need a, a king of heaven and a king of earth, right? So Jesus comes as kind of a dual king because that's our problem. It's a dual rebellion. Okay. Um, why does all this matter? And I was trying to be funny about matter and physical matter and, and it's not funny. Anyway, okay. Um, Joel, when Joel's gone, he's gonna do the laugh track. man. It's all falling apart. All right, why, why does all this matter? Um, this is really interesting stuff, but you lived your, your life perfectly well without ever worrying about what the word Elohim meant before now. Right? So why does it matter? Uh, a, a couple of things. Um, partly it matters because this is how Jesus thought about the world. And we spent a lot of time talking about being disciples and doing everything the way Jesus did it, right? It's going to be helpful for us to think as Jesus thought. In the time of Jesus, there's two big religious systems, right, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, which one was, You know, the, it might be a trick question you might know which one was Jesus, was he a Sadducee or a Pharisee. Okay, well, neither is probably the best answer but, but if you got to pick one, what would you pick Pharisee okay fantastic so yeah he really isn't either one, but if you're going to pick one he's a Pharisee why because the Pharisees believed in the afterlife right? In eternal life and eternal death. They believed in a resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels and in demons. Uh, and they believed in the whole Old Testament as their scripture, right? Because the old, whole Old Testament um, talks about a lot of those things. So um, Jesus sees the world this way. Right? Jesus sees the world with his spiritual component. As you read the stories of Jesus, it's abundantly clear, right? One of the central things Jesus does in his ministry is exercise demons, that is a weird thing if you're a Sadducee, right? I mean, and a lot, of, a lot of us are by default Sadducees, right? I don't mean that in a condemning way, but we just sort of think, well, this world is all there is, right? And maybe I even believe in God, maybe I even believe I'm gonna go to heaven when I die, but this world is just, just physical stuff is all there is, right? But Jesus doesn't believe that. And, and a huge part of his ministry is engaging on this spiritual level on our behalf, okay? So we gotta think the way Jesus thinks. Um, there are also some really significant dangers to being a Sadducee, right? Um, I was thinking about, I've been singing this song all day. You guys remember Material Girl by Madonna? Living in a material world. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, So it is really easy for us to be material people. And I don't just mean it in the Madonna sense of things, um, but sure, I mean, in terms of gathering money and wealth and power and fame, sure, easy for us to do that. But it's also really easy for us to say, you know, this world is all there is. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about the strategy of the the spiritual forces against us. And he says in ancient times, they tried to scare us away from God, right? By possessing people and doing creepy things. And and then at some point in the last few centuries, Satan said, ah, you might be even more effective, with the way the culture is today, I want to make them think that there is no God, right? Not that they're on the wrong God or their God isn't strong enough or they should join a different God's team, which is what people have been doing for thousands of years before that. But all of a sudden, hey, you know what? Maybe let's just believe in the physical world and nothing else. And we've talked about it extensively, but there's a lot of problems that come with that, right? Um, and, And we miss out on not just eternal life when we die, but the life that God designed for us now, right? When we get to live with the Holy Spirit in our hearts and be united with God and be on mission with God. And I mean, live with God in our heart. We miss out on all of that, right? If we're just material girl, right? If we're just a Sadducee. Okay, um, I would love, I'm, I'm out of time and I want you guys to have a minute to ask me some stuff, but I would love for you to think about these two questions um, this week, okay? What happens if we over-focus or hyper-focus on either reality? What happens if we spend all our time thinking about boy that that thing about elohim and spiritual beings has been freaking me out and for the next 20 years i'm going to remember that one thing jim said and that's all um i'm going to spend all day tomorrow researching the ranks of angels and categorizing them and the ranks of demons right what happens if we hyper focus on that and the reverse what happens if we hyper focus on the physical right and forget about the spiritual component in our world. um so what happens if we overfocus on one? And then the other question I want you to think about this week is: How does one reality affect the other? We talked about that a little bit tonight, right? But how does one reality affect the other in good and bad ways? Okay. All right. I- I'm going to pause, and I-, I meant to pause earlier. I'm really sorry. I got excited about this stuff. Um, what What other questions or comments do do we have about this idea of sort of this two realities in the spiritual world? Are we tracking a little bit? I know it's a lot of new stuff. Um, questions or stuff that doesn't make sense right now that we can, that I can answer? Yeah, Katie. Yes. And stay believers. Yeah, so Katie's point is, uh, she was reading Acts chapter 23. Yeah, and there's a point where it talks about how the Sadducees don't believe, as we mentioned, in the afterlife and the resurrection. They don't believe in um, angels or spirits or any of that stuff. Um, so I'm really glad you said that. Um, I, I wanted to come back to that Pharisee-Sadducee thing because it is possible to read the Bible as a Sadducee. Right? It, is, and, and, um, it is possible to say, hey, there's just... There's God, he made us, but otherwise it's just physical stuff, right? I think Thomas Jefferson would have been a Sadducee, right? He's a deist, right? God made it, he's drawing the clock up, he set it off to run, there it goes. God's not involved in the world in any way, he just made it and set it in motion. That's right, so the Sadducees don't have, they don't read the Psalms, they don't read the prophets, they don't read any of that stuff, that's right. Um, So I... I think we can find ourselves being Sadducees. And I think you're right, Katie. When we do that, we are abandoning some really critical, I would say essential components of our faith. But we can slip into that um, really fast, right? Because the physical world feels very real. And the idea that God might really speak to me or might really do a miracle in my life or might really know me by name and love me is kind of hard to wrap my head around. But sometimes it's easier just to say, I'm just going to, just gonna believe in the physical stuff. But I agree, you're missing out on some of the main ideas. Yeah, It's great. Other comments or questions? Okay, Um, well, I'm out of time. So thank you so much for being here tonight. I wanna do two quick things. I wanna encourage you um, as you go about your week, keep these two questions in mind. What happens when we overfocus on either reality? How does one affect the other? And then um, I would love to have you join us next week. We're going to talk about God's staff, right? The angels and the divine counsel. So um, we'll get into the good guys in this conversation. Let's let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we are so thankful uh, that you believed and still believe that somehow in us your creation can come together. We're so thankful, Lord, that you sent Jesus, uh, the dual king, to to correct our dual rebellion and to unite earth and heaven, uh, and that in Christ, we have the privilege of becoming just like him, but smaller. Uh, And so even this week, God, we pray you'd help us to begin to see the world as you do, to recognize Um, your heavenly realities around us, and to realize that we will have a role in um, inviting your goodness and your grace and your love and your presence into not just our lives, but into our whole world. Uh, We love you, Jesus. We thank you in your holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen.